Welcome to Reboot Republic, the podcast that goes behind the headlines and looks at the big issues in this republic of inequality. This is the podcast of solutions and the podcast of hope. And I'm your host, Roy Hearn, and I'm absolutely delighted today to be joined on the podcast by Amy Niverku, who is uh, 31 and who is a member of Katu Ireland um, and has been renting for 10 years and recently went through five evictions in the space of five years. I'm also joined by Miriam Sweeney, who is a um, founding member of Reclaim Our Spaces, a group that's raising awareness of solutions to Ireland's dereliction and vacancy epidemic. And um, we're going to discuss today the issue of uh, renters, the situation faced by renters, and in particular look at um, I suppose responses to the crisis at the moment, the housing crisis, which has really reached a point of a tipping point for renters that they can't take anymore um, and look at the question of rent strikes, of anti-eviction protests. We've seen the, the action in Prussia Street um, and the question of what can renters do and what could they do? But also importantly, what is Generation Rent going to do? What future have they um, in Ireland? And I'm going to go first to Miriam Sweeney. Miriam, um, you were involved in the, um, as you said, the, the Reclaim Our Spaces walking tour um, of Dublin recently, which I was part of as well, um, and a really successful event. Maybe you could just outline briefly um, sort of what brought you to the Reclaim Our Spaces and a bit about your own um, personal story of the, of the housing crisis as well. Sure thing, yeah. So Reclaim Our Spaces is basically um, trying to build a community of people who are interested in using unoccupied spaces um, and trying to simplify, I suppose, the barriers that they face to actually making that a reality. So we're trying to strip back some of the jargon around, you know, what are the blockers, what are the policy things, what are the, the legislation around this um, that, you know, prevents people from achieving this, but also trying to highlight examples of um, successful examples that have already done this from uh, at home and abroad. So, yeah, I mean, what brought me to this was I was involved in Extinction Rebellion and um, Phoebe, who's one of the other co-founders, reached out to me saying, or reached out to the group generally saying, does anybody want to come and do a postering campaign with me? Um, it was during the pandemic. So uh, at the time I had been very conscious of kind of all the beautiful architecture around Dublin city, particularly that was vacant. Uh, I'd be looking at these spaces kind of saying, God, that'd make a great place for a gig, obviously, because height of the pandemic was missing all my social outlets um, or that'd be a beautiful gallery or really anything. And then as soon as you start seeing dereliction of vacancy you really can't unsee it it becomes this obsessional thing like my friends would be giving out to me on a night out because I'd be like look at that the stretch of houses there yeah. all vacant and they like give it up but yeah so I just became something that um really like ignited a, a, a passion in me and so yeah we've been working on that since about May and then we decided on the back of kind of the cobblestone and merchants art arch movement that's happening um that we would organize a kind of our own walking tour um which was kind of more of a festival, I suppose, than your traditional protest. There was no political speeches. There was no, um, well, no speeches by political uh, representatives. They were definitely political in nature, but um, there was, you know, no chance or anything like that. It was very much, let's go on a tour of Dublin. Let's talk about some of these derelict buildings. Let's learn about the history, the heritage and the policy that has led, led us to a point where these have been sitting vacant for years now. Um, so yeah, successful event, really good fun. I think it's a, sort of um, a different way of protesting. Was definitely a lot more accessible for a lot more people. Um, but yeah, yeah no, terms, I think that's a little bit about reclaim our spaces. Um, but just in terms of my own kind of renting renting story, uh, I have kind of been renting in Ireland now for the last year and a half. So unlike most people who kind of uh, went home for the pandemic to save money. It was kind of a breaking point for me and my four siblings living at home, my two parents. Um, so a lot of us kind of flew the nest after the first lockdown, kind of get a bit of space. Um, and yeah, I suppose during that time before that, I had really hadn't thought about moving out because of just the ridiculous cost of it. And I was kind of in between jobs. Like a lot of people my age, I work these sort of short-term contracts or, you know, part-time roles. Um, it's just kind of the way that work is going uh, these days. So yeah, um, hadn't really had any cause to move out because it was really just a place to rest my head and store my stuff. Um, but yeah, once I moved out, then it was just kind of the, the it became so abundantly clear how poor the quality of of housing is in this country and how you're paying outrageous prices for things that are just 
substandard to say at, at the best like the first place I was renting had it was a basement it had no natural ventilation very little sunlight within three months a summer months as well we had mold growing in our clothes so then we hightailed it to a new place which has a really dodgy extension it's kind of the wall is falling apart there's beef with the neighbors um in terms of like sound pollution because this extension wasn't properly insulated they've taken it up at Dublin City Council nothing's happened they're lovely guys like we we have a good relationship with them but they're so sick of you know tenants blowing in and being very disruptive and uh, inconsiderate of them who've been living there since they were you know uh, children so it's just it, it is really shocking and I suppose now I've I my, my lease is up in the next two weeks and I've decided to move to Berlin because I just don't see the sense in saying settled in Ireland when I'm going to be paying a ridiculous amount for such sub, substandard um, I suppose living conditions and it's there's a, a couple of things just there that struck me the first one was when you know you say you lived at home you know, and you were saying that that was difficult. What were the challenges living at home? I suppose, you know, becoming, you know, an adult and still living at home with your yeah. parents. Yeah, look, I'm I'm quite lucky. A lot of people um, live at home in very tense situations. My family get on really well. It wasn't always that way, but in the last year in particular, um, it's been it's been great there. But it is just, it, I don't know, it's just past a certain age. There's There's massive personal implications in terms of your own development, the relationships that you can have in your life just your sense of self and identity as well. You know, being, being told that you need to brush your teeth at the end of the day at 27 is not, not where you yeah. want to be, you know? Um, and yeah, just particularly in terms of romantic relationships, it, it does, it, it definitely, you know, uh, it has a, it has a negative implication in terms of like how, how you are coming into adulthood and what you can, what that space to call your own and to kind of craft in your own way. You're just living again under the kind of, the thumb of your your parents still at an age where you're supposed to be branching out and, and discovering yourself. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's an important one because we do talk a lot about generation rent, but there is literally hundreds of thousands of young adults and not so young adults living still living at home with their parents as well, who are essentially, you know, obviously people have different situations and that, but there it can be uh, very impactful on as you talk about there, you know, people's private, you know, development of relationships and even becoming an adult. Um, just, you know, I think it is to me, it's it's so heartbreaking that we have another generation being forced to leave this country um, because it used to be because we didn't have jobs. Um, and now it's because they haven't you know, provided housing. And of course, there was also the the austerity generation who was forced to leave, um, you know, past just in terms of the years after the crash um, that it, it, it seems it seems such a loss of you know, that, that human, you know, the, the people's commitment, the, the talent is, you know, the, just that is such a loss. It's not a decision that you've taken lightly, I imagine. No, not at all. I mean, I have a job here. I have really good friends and family here. I think the pandemic, if anything, made me sort of solidify the fact that I, I value Ireland. I value the people particularly. I, and I value my, my um, close network here, but I just, I can't see the sense in staying in this country in terms of the kind of, I suppose, the affordability and the quality, as I mentioned before, of the housing here is just, it, it is substandard. And then I suppose another massive kind of detractor for me is the kind of slowness to improve the situation that we're in at the moment. So it's just been so clear for a long time now that this country's development is profit-driven rather than kind of people-centred. And it's kind of eroding our communities, our creative and cultural spaces as well. Um, and, you know, at the at the March, we really spoke about this country's obsession with hotels and how yeah. we're kind of using it as a solution for our country's problems and that we have this kind of hotels are profiteering off our crises, whether it's emergency accommodation or the COVID, um, you know, uh, self-isolation. And it's just... You know, it's it's short term solutions that are leading to, um, uh, you know, generations of children kind of suffering in these temporary conditions. Um, and it just yeah, I just I think people are at a breaking point now. And I think a lot of people are are leaving. A lot of creatives had left in the last couple of years because, again, this country doesn't really value um, creativity and creative spaces and uh, the arts in general as a as a viable kind of career path. So people have been forced to leave. I think there's a lot of people who if you have any sort of personal interest in living a good quality of life, 
the notion is that you will leave because I can't I can't see even a future for myself here I can't when I think about mortgages I have to laugh out loud and I'm being told that you know that is the most economically savvy option for me but I'm a you know a single 27 year old who couldn't get a mortgage if I tried like it's back to 1950s Ireland and reliant on a partner to get a house like it's 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 a bizarre situation that we're living in so I yeah I think it's 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 time to go for me anyway which is sad because I love this country I love the people I have great energy as well to to try and act change and I will obviously be working still on reclaim our spaces when I'm over there but I just can't stay here um and there's a lot of people like me who have a lot of passion and a lot of brain power for change or just general I suppose just like general intelligence you know they talk about brain drain um and again it's the idea that do we stay here and try and make it a better place even though there's no evidence of change coming down the line especially not from the top down or do we leave and have a better life for ourselves and I know which one is the easiest one obviously I've made my decision (laughs) I'm leaving but um yeah I do hope that I suppose there's something I can learn from Germany as being a, a far more progressive country in terms of its development that I might be able to bring home to Ireland eventually but right now I just I think I feel like my hands are tied and I have to go yeah no it's it, it's very very sad and I think it's you know again I think it was like during that period of austerity and, and in our history um, you know emigration has been referred to as the political pressure valve it releases the pressure and we know that Ireland has been stunted down through the the century, the last century, in part because our young people left, um, and we, you know, remained a conservative a conservative state, and that I think that it is that impetus that you can see and and feel from you and hear from you that you know for change for the dynamicism, you know, dynamism of of you know new ideas that's lost when when young people leave. Um, so I do do hope you come back soon and hope we, we get it changed quicker um, so that you do come back and we avoid more people leaving. Um, Amy Niverku, you know, from your own perspective, maybe, you know, being you know active with um, the Community um, Action Tenants Union, uh, maybe you could set out a little bit sort of what you got, why, why you got involved um, and a bit of your own kind of personal housing story, which we referenced at the start there in terms of experiencing you know real um you know a high level of of evictions in recent years mm-hmm. sure um so yeah i started renting in dublin around uh 2013 and then 2014 um my first eviction and then uh from there every year for the next five years um and two of those were quite violent in terms of physical violence from um, landlords who had stopped paying their mortgage and their property was being, you know, repossessed. And they were, you know, chancing their arm, trying to threaten us and intimidate us and, and all the rest. Um, but, you know, as I said, also state violence um, and institutional violence in terms of, you know, trying to turn to these institutions that, you know, your whole life you're told are going to protect you and, and keep you safe. Um, and in the end that they don't. Um, and so my last eviction um was at the end of 2019, just before the the coronavirus kind of hit. And uh Catty was just getting up up and running. So a couple of people had gone around across Europe bringing back knowledge from other tenancy unions. Um and I wasn't able to get involved as much as I wanted to going through going through that eviction, but that eviction ended up um, being one of the first member defence cases that that Cathy took on board. Um, but yeah, it's you know that level of instability in it, and it's quite um, kind of hearing Marim speak about living at home. I don't have a relationship with my family. That's not an option for me. And, you know, that's kind of another violence that I experienced from the state is that this expectation if if you can't rent that, you know, you can rely on your family. And, and there's a lot of us who can't. Um, but that level of instability um, and panic and, and anxiety over the course of five years has like entirely changed my ability to relate to the world. And, um, you know, I, I I'm sometimes a difficult person to be around. I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, you know, I'm 31 years old and I, you know, I'm really struggling at the moment with the idea of like I 
might, if I'm lucky, have like 30 to 40 more years. And I don't know how I'm going to shoulder 30 to 40 more years of, you know, every day worrying, is this the day that the landlord kicks in the door or that I get an eviction notice or where am I going to go after I get evicted from this house? Because this house isn't going to last for 30 to 40 years. And, you know, so it's it's entirely destroyed my quality of life and my ability to relate to to the world and other people. it's 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 incredible to to think about you know and it's something we need to talk so much more about is that the those those human personal impacts of of housing crisis because we talk about you know and and i wrote about in in the examiner earlier this week that you know we're looking at potentially two and a half thousand um evictions and someone criticized me actually on, on social media but two and a half thousand evictions taking place this year since the lifting um, of the eviction ban um, related to COVID, um, that there's been a huge spike in the number of evictions. But someone criticised me on social media saying that, oh, these aren't actually evictions. You know, these are just landlords serving a notice to quit, which isn't the same as an eviction. And in my head going, of course it's the same as an eviction. You're being told to leave your home. And that must be a real, you know, must have a devastating impact that this, you think when you're living there, that it's your home. Do you feel that 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 it, like you're being essentially that whether a landlord is telling you you four months or six months or ten months to leave, it is being evicted from your home? Right, exactly. And um, you know, you're kind of it's that process of being denied shelter or you know being den- denied security or you know being denied the opportunity to like grow community links. And, and for someone like me who has like a frayed relationship with familial. And um, links, you know, community becomes all that more important. You know, you rely on on the people who spend time with you and who are near you for those supports that you would otherwise turn to your family for. And that, you know, being constantly ripped out from underneath you. And, you know, I know I'm talking about my own experience a lot, but, you know, the reason that I do is I know that so many other people feel that as well. If, if I thought it was just me, you know, I'd lie down and take it. But, you know, I know it's not. Um, you know, there's vast amounts of, of unnecessary suffering that we're jumping through logical hoops to try and justify because the government keeps trying to tell us, oh, you know, there's you need to be resilient or there's an acceptable amount of suffering in order to keep things feasible or to keep things, you know, um, uh, logical or to, you know, to keep things viable, economically viable. Um, and, you know, I think we really need to kind of reflect on, on this suffering and really honour it and acknowledge it in a real way um, and empathise with it in order to be like, actually, no, you know, our lives shouldn't be dictated by the economy in this way. Um, you know, we need we need to give everyone, you know, a decent quality of, of living and dignity. Otherwise, why do we spend 70, you know, 80, 90 years being alive and, and on this planet? If it's not, you know, to, to feel joy or to be happy or to appreciate, you know, the world that we've been born into and, and given. You know, I, I think it's a fundamental point that the the question of, you know, the, the existential question of, you know, why are we here? And, and the, the, we it has been that we have been turned into these, you know, through the housing crisis and particularly your generation turned into these commodities, you know, that, that, that are expendable through the rental system and given, as you say, Miriam, you know, little hope of a future. Um, how do you see this kind of panning out? Do you think that, you know, renters have reached their limits? You're obviously deciding to leave. Um, where do you see this going in terms of Ireland as a country? I mean, I would hope that we can sustain some, I suppose, like some of this energy that's definitely floating around now. I can feel it. I think um, a lot of people who would have been kind of a little bit more politically apathetic um, in my social circles are, you know, it's gone past the stage of grumbling now. And I think everybody is starting to really feel the effects. Um, And I think, you know, whereas previously there there might have been a kind of you know younger generations or might have been siloed to sort of uh, dissatisfaction from younger generations or dissatisfaction from you know people in their mid um, mid you know 30s to 50s i think a lot of the kind of like older generation or middle age generation 
are now seeing this impact their children as well. So while they might be yeah. sort of well off, they they can completely empathize with what's going on because they can see that their children are not able to afford homes or, you know, when they were our age, they were all living by themselves and they had their own houses and they could afford, a, you know, at least an apartment by themselves. Um, so I think there's there's outcry, I think, across the generations now at this stage. Um, what I would hope is that, yeah, I suppose that people can um, kind of get active in whatever way that they they can, whether they have the kind of, I suppose, um, energetic sort of bandwidth to get involved. Because I know a lot of people are stressed and um, this is a like we're living this as well as kind of trying to oppose it. So yeah. having to, I suppose, spend your weekends going to protests and talking, talking about this stuff or writing articles or being politically active. It can be draining, but like I'm loving seeing this um, sort of the, the Save the Cobblestone Merchants Arch movement in terms of their, their kind of focus on having fun while you're protesting, because it doesn't have to be, I suppose, the, the typical kind of march and chant and like very kind of negative. Like it, you can you can have fun. And again, it's like, what are we here for if not to have an enjoyable time? So why, do, why don't we protest in a way that can kind of add value and re-energize ourselves rather than kind of uh, depleting ourselves? But so, yeah, I would hope that... Um, we can kind of maintain that obviously as well the, the grassroots organizing and the, the consistency and the longevity of this movement is is going to be crucial because it's not the kind of thing that changes overnight and we are going to have to keep keep moving forward so I would just call call on everybody as, as somebody said to me last week at the walking tour it's like pick your lane and fight like hell just in whatever way that you can whether it's like in what you're doing in work whether it's conversations you can have with people whether it's showing up to the occasional protests and um you know or just kind of sharing things on social media like it all makes a difference and just do whatever you feel like you can do um because it, it will make some some semblance of a difference yeah and on that amy do you think in terms of you know as you know renters have have reached their limits and that are we likely to see and particularly as we're coming out of because i think that has had a big impact covid uh, has had a big impact on the the protest movements understandably you know the take back the city and those, you know, happened pre-COVID and then COVID came and it hit a lot of that because understandably people could just couldn't engage for public health reasons. Um, do you think, and obviously as well, we had the measures during COVID, of course, the eviction ban um, and the rent freeze, which did actually give people some relief. Um, that do you? How do you see this? Do you think we will see rent strikes? Do you think we're going to see more anti-eviction protests? How do you see this kind of going forward and how can that kind of movement of, of renters be 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 built and, and into a force that can kind of create that change that's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, the eviction ban and the, the sort of rent freeze um, were very important in increasing people's appetite because, you know, one of the statistics that was, you know, doing the rounds was the effect that that had on, on single mothers not, you know, entering into homelessness in, in the period of 2020 yeah, um, and seeing it in effect, seeing that it was possible, and um, you know because under under the crisis conditions, the government went okay. We're we're going to have to do this now. So you know, a seeing that it was possible, seeing the government doing it, but also seeing the effect that it had. You know, kind of again broaden people's political imagination and increase their appetite for for wanting to see real change and and seeing it in in action, and. Um, Rent strikes have been, you know, a popular tactic in the States where you see a lot more apartment blocks and, and tenants in apartment blocks kind of connecting together um, and that being very effective, whereas, you know, um, people still kind of have a pick and mix of landlords in the way that they don't have in the States. So I think that might be a tactic that comes down the line. It's like tenants and IRS and those those big culture fund companies kind of start making connections and start building communities. And um, so hopefully that will be an effective tactic in the future. For now, I think it will be anti-eviction resistance um, and effective eviction resistance. Um, you know, I read about the, the history of the New York rent controls and they're considered some of the most effective rent controls in the world. And that kind of stemmed from people going out and saying, you know, no matter what kind of excuses the landlord or the state or the police came up with, that, you know, we're not accepting this. And, you know, we're not letting you accept this anymore. And, you know, that the law isn't a moral compass, that people, you know, need shelter and we're going to make sure that that happens. And, 
you know, and hopefully we can see that again here, kind of replicate and, you know, see people's kind of appetite for that and, you know, kind of stand up and say, you know, we want to see people sheltered. We want to see people, you know, have a good quality of life. We want to see people in homes. Um, and, you know, if you're not going to do it, we're going to stand up and do it. Um, but as well as that, I think even taking it a step further, you know, the and, and to, you know, speak to, to the dereliction um, squatting is going to be a really, really important tactic, um, in, you know, in terms of kind of showing people what's possible with property, because at the moment, you know, the only thing that people can imagine are these, you know, really high rise, uh, high density. Uh, and again, this is reflected in government policy in terms of compact growth, which you see throughout the Dublin City Development Plan and the National Development Plan. And, um, and, you know, because the government have um, kind of put forward this narrative that kind of makes sense on the face of it, that this is the only economic viable solution, people are kind of like, OK, well, that's what we have to build. Whereas squatters, they'll, they'll open, you know, the building that they're they're squatting to do workshops or you know to do these community sustaining activities and that will help people see oh no actually this is possible we don't have to listen to what the state tells us is possible we can imagine the the communities and the cities and and the you know developments that we want to live in and um, and it will inspire people i hope to you know demand that and take direct action and um, you know, to, to say to the state, if you don't do your job, we're going to make you obsolete. We're going to do it instead. Yeah, and and Miriam, in, in terms of, and I'll come back, Amy, just to you in a minute, just around maybe you could talk a little bit about, because you were down at um, Prussia Street and talk about that in terms of, you know, what, what that meant and, and what it means. Um, Miriam, just in terms of that, I suppose, that broader question of what type of Ireland we're creating and what type of Ireland we offer um, you know, your generation. Do you see a future, you know, for you in Ireland? And, and what do you think is Ireland being run by the corporations or, you know, who are we making policy for? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that we have to look at the context that has led us here. And I think, you know, the government like to play it off as though this is some you know, unhappy consequence of like from factors that were beyond our control and like instead of just owning up to the fact that it's a string of bad decisions and a broken system that has led us to this point um you know we are a nation whose relative wealth of the last 10 years is built on corporate tax avoidance um so we're we're essentially a corporatocracy which means that you know the economic and political system is completely controlled by corporations and corporate interests so of course, we're seeing, you know, urban development that prioritizes private interest over public goods. Um, I think it, it's and it's so clear that there's a, a disconnect between what the people want, um, which you can see through the growing popularity of movements like Give Us the Night, Save the Cobblestone, Merchant's Arch, um, Homes on Hotels. Like it's all indicative of a nation that's crying out for a more progressive approach to development that has, you know, opportunities for people to feed into it and ask for what they want and it's just being met with a serious like lack of political will to engage in any way shape or form um and it's yeah it's it's very disheartening to watch it because it's it's not like there's you know there aren't people here who are laying out examples of how other folks are doing it in other nations or you know successful models we don't have to build this stuff from scratch it all exists um and, but, and it's also our history as well which i know it's something you've talked about before in our psyche and yeah. the question of, you know, looking back at, you know, this post-colonial kind yeah, of... Yeah, unfortunately, I do think we we still have a very sort of colonised mindset in Ireland where people are a little bit politically ap- apathetic. They do think, I suppose, like, it, it's it's a little bit uh, maybe naive or, or trusting that we think that the government is, is doing right by us at all times or they're trying their best. And I think recently we've really seen that they play up to that and you know we're just the little guy trying to trying to do right by everybody when in fact that's just it doesn't seem to be reflective of what's actually going on at all and I think you know for a for a long time we've just kind of taken it on the chin and said well that's just that's just that and uh, it'll be grand and it'll sort itself out eventually and it's like 
the solutions are not coming from the top down. Um, and we we really do have to have the courage to sort of reimagine them and demand that they are reimagined from the bottom up and organize amongst ourselves. And I, you know, I love that Amy brought up squatting because I think squatting, there was a massive squatting movement in Amsterdam um, in the 80s. And, you know, all these people moved into these spaces, reclaimed them as their own and ended up having, you know, like because landlords and you know governments didn't really like this, this I suppose subculture that went along with it and um, they ended up kind of putting in anti-squatting measures but they had to work with the squatters to figure out what it was that they were doing that was of value to the communities because as soon as they moved in and they started opening themselves up to these communities pe- people loved it they wanted people around they were adding value to the community they were adding a sense of identity they were you know it's it, I think people have this idea of like squatters as as people who are like damaging or anything like that I think we have a very negative perception of what squatting is but in 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 reality it's people moving into vacant and derelict sites renovating them doing something socially positive with them like using them as you know running workshops or you know using them as as a place for people to meet or a a sanctuary for people to come together um, in a safe environment and we really need to change our our perception um, as an, uh, I suppose, as, as the public of what squatting is. And then we also need to, to sort of, uh, from, a, I suppose, a more legislative environment, we need to, we need to see how we can work with these groups and empower these groups to do things um, from the bottom up that will have a positive impact because we have a massive vacancy and dereliction crisis in this country as well. So like we're, we're, you know, I think the acceptable vacancy rates are about 5% for commercial properties and 25 for residential. It's estimated that about 9% of all properties in Ireland um, are derelict or vacant. You know, in, in rural Ireland, it's worse again. Tip Town has, you know, 31% vacancy rates and um, Tralee has 25%. Like there's a ridiculous amount of properties out there that are completely going unused um, for no other reason other than landlords couldn't be bothered doing anything with them it's too expensive to renovate them even though there's schemes out there by the way there are government schemes there's seven different schemes to to revamp a vacant or derelict space um but you know there's an I, I encourage anybody to look up Anisha's report on the kind of the 10 myths around dereliction because it just it, it it shows showcases all the excuses that are laid out and the kind of used to normalize dereliction and it's like none of, none of these are valid like there's there's so much that could be done and there's this whole policy instrument called meanwhile use where we could be turning these spaces over to creatives and we could be turning them over to communities for a period of maybe like between one to ten years where they could engage with them use them because again it takes a lot a lot of time for these developments to actually come to fruition so it's like why not have people using them in the in the interim why not have um you know a fun temporary usage of the space uh, like a really great example of this is um the mend gallery in harold's cross so it was an old car dealership it was vacant for years um a couple of artists got in contact with the landlord asked could they start set up like a, a um a gallery space there they revamped it into a gallery space and studio space for artists they have like an amazing sort of sound system out the back that they use for um sort of like uh, sound exhibitions and in the front now there's also you know food trucks and uh, like churros and coffee carts and like a lot of young kids come about and and it's it's a really great example of what can be done if we just had I suppose the political will to support that. Yeah, no, it's really interesting, and I think it's, you know, you look to other cities that really give those type of community spaces and make them available, and they're the vibrant cities, you know, in, yeah. in continental Europe that, you know, where young people and and not so young people can can create these type of spaces, and we look at here, and it's a really weird twisting of the that post post colonial. Um, kind of development that on the one hand we have this, you know, as a result of the the resistance to colonialism, um, you know, and as a result of the the movement of the land league in in the you know the late nineteenth century of the f- for the fair rents, the fixity of tenure, we have this really strong protection in many ways of of the private property rights and people sense that oh yes we we need to own our own home, which you know came from this you know people need to own their piece of land their home. And now has been warped into this situation where it essentially is protecting a new class of landlords, you know, to allow hoarding of land, of dereliction of property, of mass exploitation by a new foreign landlord class of investment funds to exploit 
a new generation. So it's just like this whole warping. And I think of, and, and of course, then within that, it's the really interesting thing that you're bringing up, Miriam. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, can't be a loss to people that we have within our psyche, the collective memory of resistance to evictions, you know, of that image of the thatched cottage and the family standing outside it and the battering ram and people coming together. We invented the word boycott um, into the English language because of what um, was done in terms of people boycotting landlords who were evicting the tenant farmers. And Amy, in terms of that, you know, you were down at Prussia Street um, and as part of that solidarity, do you think that there is that growing sense now as we move out of COVID that there might be that space for solidarity around people being evicted and, and, and not just the spaces, but in terms of homes as well. Can that, that grow in some sense that we can make those connections and people can see, no, these are people's homes. How are we allowing this history repeating itself and doing it to our own people this time as opposed to being done by a colonizing power? Um, yeah, definitely. I... <sighs> It's really funny. It keeps coming up in discussions that I'm having where I keep talking about, like, you know, we we overthrew British rule, but just slapped the Irish Free State in, uh, on top of it and kept all, all the problems. And, um, you know, did we ever really escape colonialism? Um, yeah. You know, the way, you know, I was keeping tabs just out of personal interest on kind of some of the public reaction to to the anti-eviction um, solidarity yesterday and um, you know kind of like I was saying earlier all these logical hoops that that people you know economic logical hoops that people jump through to kind of protect sort of money and, and their ability to profit and you know security of property and that kind of thing over sort of the sanctity of, of a life well lived um, but the flip side of that then is, you know, I was talking to people and meeting people who came out in solidarity yesterday who, you know, self-admittedly were kind of like, I don't know if I'm 100% comfortable with, with the idea of squatting or I kind of haven't sat with it and thought about it. But, you know, I'm, I'm out here in solidarity because something has to be done. And I think a lot of what was overlooked, you know, a lot of people are talking about kind of the 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 landlords coming in and, and causing harm and the Gardaí coming in and causing harm and, and all that's very valid. But kind of what was overlooked as well was, was the level of community care um, and, and support that was on display yesterday. And I think that's really, really evocative and powerful. You know, people's needs were met. Um, there were no questions asked about whether someone deserved to have their needs met or, or you know, whether they were worthy of having their needs met. Their needs were just met whether that was getting people water or snacks or, you know, supporting them with first aid or, you know, their emotional needs, you know, in the middle of that traumatic experience and ultimately getting them back into the occupation of the building. And, you know, and I I think people, you know, those are the characteristics that people want to see in their communities. You see a lot in the government's policies, the word sustainable communities and, and what the government means when it says that is, you know, economically viable um, and economically sustainable communities. Whereas I think, you know, that term makes those policies palatable to, to people who live in those communities. But the people who live in those communities actually want to see that level of care that we saw yesterday. Um, and I'm really hoping that like coming out in solidarity and seeing it in action and seeing the direct action will really start, you know, kind of helping people sit with some of the discomfort that they have around, you know, direct action and, and sit with, you know, do I really agree with, with private property rights the way that, you know, the media and the state have asked me to agree with them um, and start challenging that. And, and hopefully we'll see more and more people come out in support of, of squatting and, and ultimately, as, as I keep saying, you know, standing up to the state and, and saying to them, do your job or we will do it for you and get rid of you. Um, because ultimately, you know, when you see this with mutual aid um, kind of resistance in the states, that often the state co-ops those mutual aid um, movements, you know, they kind of go, oh, that's working, we'll do it. Yeah. And um, we'll do it instead so that we can maintain our legit- legitimacy. Um, even in terms of COVID response, I don't know if you remember at the start of lockdown, you know, people were putting green or red cards in their window, depending on whether they needed help and the community was coming out and, and 
taking note of who needed help and, and was doing the shopping runs. And, and shortly after, the county councils installed um, helplines that people could, could call instead of putting those coloured cards out in their window. So, you know, when you if you believe in the welfare state and you want the state to do something, you often have to show them that if they don't do it, we will. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very interesting, uh, I think, I think idea. And it's something, again, that, you know, is is that question of, you know, what what does the state do and what role it plays? Just in terms of people, people if they want to get involved in Katu, Amy, how can they do that? And um, so the easiest way is to go on to katuireland.org um, and join using um, the forms there or reach out to Katu um, that way. Um, and you'll be put in touch with your local branch. Um, each each branch is kind of autonomous, um, although kind of broadly organised under under shared values and principles, obviously. Um, so, you know, your local branch will offer you many different ways to kind of join and, and, and you know, start making that change. Great, great. And we encourage people, if they are interested in getting involved, and if you're not even a renter, if you just want to act in solidarity, and get involved in community action, you can get involved as well. Um, Miriam, just last word to you, maybe a question that um, in terms of, you know, you look at, you know, your generation is the generation that brought, you know, repeal and marriage equality, you know, huge social positive social change. Um, and housing is the one that now, you know, has been in a way taken from you as a generation that you don't have secure, uh, affordable shelter do you think that there is the possibility of a new, you know, movement for equality around housing, you know, around, as we talked about, be it reclaim, you know, our spaces, the, the work of CATU, you know, I think as well, a, a referendum on the right to housing could as well garner some energy and, you know, have the conversation about how do we treat property in this country? How do we treat a home that the housing system doesn't deliver people's homes, that we need this kind of value revolution um, in order to get the change across generations and conversations, how do you see or do you see that developing? I definitely do. I feel like it, there's sort of a snowballing effect happening now. If there was a referendum tomorrow, I, I, I don't know who would oppose it in terms of like a right to housing. I think everybody in this country is feeling the crunch. Um, and so, yeah, it's just about sort of, I suppose, a multi-pronged approach, taking taking it from many sides because again unfortunately the, the housing issue is not separated from the urban development issue is not separated from the infrastructural issue is not separated from the environmental issue these things are all connected and so we, or the mental health issue either yeah absolutely so these like we need people working on all fronts um to move all of these issues forward but again i think housing is one that people are definitely united behind um and yeah it's just about finding what where you fit within the different activities that are going on, what resonates with you, how do you want to get involved um, and, and taking a little bit of an initiative or just, you don't even have to get too deeply involved either. You can just decide to dip in and out of these things, but it is going to make a difference. And I think people are starting to get a bit outraged. Like it's, it's nonsensical even talking about, you know, that social center down in Prussia street. I mean, it was it wasn't even a case of you know these people being evicted and of course obviously there was a real um kind of like there was a lot of violence used yesterday and a lot of injuries and i think you know they were hitting people with bats they were throwing sledgehammers and the irish times reported there was no injuries i met someone yesterday and had a bump on his nose from getting a deck like it's yeah it, there there's there's a real disconnect between i suppose like what what people are reporting but it's not even just obviously the violence that that's there. It's also the fact that this space, which is left to rot for three years, um, has now been. They, so they sent in these like hired hands to smash it up and make it as unlivable as possible. They burst pipes. They they threw oil all over the place, or like on people's beds, things like this. To, and you're just like this place is empty, and people were taking refuge in it for housing. And you've gone in instead of actually doing anything with it or instead of collaborating with these people you've gone in and destroyed it further it, it that to me is like makes my blood boil it's just it really shows and again the guardie were there they did not intervene like i thought the guardie was supposed to keep the peace why are they there letting letting private you know hired hands come in and rough people up it's it's maddening and it just what kind of state do we want to live in do we want ireland to just continue on this this like bizarre sort of 
downward spiral that we've seen it or do we do we want to have a hand in shaping it and I think it's definitely available to us I think we just need to we just need to shout about it a little bit more and get get their attention and shake the politicians and again if you don't if you're not into working with big governments or with top-down organize on the, the the grassroots level from the bottom up do it in whatever way suits you I think there's there's something there for everyone but I really I really do think I hope that we can sustain this I do think there is a future for Ireland if we can really get this to get over this hurdle because again it's it's the very basic you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs it's shelter yeah. it's security like we we need that to be able to go on and think about all the rest of the economic prosperity of the country and all the other needs that stack on top of that it's just this the weather here does not permit people to live nomadic lifestyles like we need the security and yeah it's uh, I, I I would hope that that we can we can pull it out of the bag again. I think I think we have it in us. But again, it's very tiring as a generation to have to constantly, you know, demand that these changes happen and to to really not feel like there's any sort of will politically to 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 lead us. We we have to lead ourselves. Yeah, well said, um, Amy. You were you were nodding in agreement there. Do you want to come in before we finish? Um. Yeah, Maureen summed it up really lovely um, there. Um, but I think, you know, aside from trying to encourage people to participate in direct action, which I think is, is really, really important. Um, you know, I think if you're if you're not there yet or if you're not comfortable with that yet, one of the most important things you can probably do is start kind of critically engaging with, you know, some of the common sense notions that we see put out, you know, if, if if you, you hear, for example, you know, oh, kids running riot on the streets, you know, that's a bad thing, you know, to kind of stop yourself and sit with it for a moment and kind of think to yourself, well, what does that say about public space? Who is public space for? What does it mean to run riot? Is it necessarily a bad thing? Um, you know, to kind of engage in all sorts of you know oh these these people you know stopping traffic on the streets don't have a job between them or you know what does that say about you know our kind of value in terms of in relationship to our labor or being exploited for wages and, and profits and stuff and I think that will bring you down on a path that will allow you to like live in alignment with your values in a really meaningful way that I think a lot of us are missing from our lives right now because you know loads of people are angry about so many different things and so many injustices and they can't really kind of connect to a way forward and you know they feel let down by various different things and but I but I think if if you can critically engage with some of the common sense notions that are being thrown about and and start living you know truly in alignment with your own values you you will find a way forward and, and you will find hope that things will change. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. And it is about education as well and this process. And that's the whole point of this podcast is to try and put, you know, these ideas and inform people and engage with them and educate them. And I think it is so important within this movement that we have the conversations across generations, across society, around why this change is needed. Um, and not just why, but how it could happen as well. And as you both said, you know, harnessing the energy that's out there as well in a positive way. Um, and I just want to thank both of you, Miriam, and Amy for doing the podcast and for doing it twice. Um, for <laughs> we had we we did the podcast and um, normally Tony produces them, so I don't even consider pressing record or anything like that. But unfortunately, Tony wasn't here today, and I forgot to press record. So my sincere apologies and thanks for going again and and we lost one of our participants but maybe he'll be back um and it, i felt it like it was like the previous podcast was a piece of art that we'd created and we just destroyed our piece of art but i think we've recreated it what do you think yeah Mary, different shades different different painting altogether <laughs> amy yeah um i i think we we really we pulled it out of the bag twice. We and did. I think there's value in that as well. Even if the first one has has disappeared into the ether, something came from it. It did. It did. And I really appreciate both of you for picking your energy up at 10 o'clock at night 
to go <laughs> to go again. It really was impressive and testament to both of you uh, and your commitment and your energy um, and your capacity to to really go again. And and it was a, a really interesting and important, I think, so important conversation. So I really appreciate you for coming on Reboot today. Um, and we will hopefully talk to you soon if you ever talk to me again. <laughs> Third time, let's go again. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Grace, listen and thank you so much I will talk to you all soon thanks Rory and I'm joined also um, by Connor Woods who is the national rep for Katu in Cork um, Connor, great you could join me on Reboot Republic and we also had a, a disaster of a record pre-record before that didn't work out so it's great you came back again thanks thanks very much Rory yeah it's, it's great to be back uh, on and you know we'll we do our best to make sure that we Get this one to stick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Listen, Connor. First, maybe you could outline just in terms of your own housing experience, and um, then why you got involved in Katu. Yeah, um, I think my experience is uh, so my own housing experience is like why I obviously can tell I'm not originally from Cork. Perhaps by yeah. accent. Um, I'm originally. That from, is most definitely not a Cork accent, all right. Most, most definitely not. Um, originally um, from County Throne and kind of a rural county and. Um, I suppose while at college, like moving away from the countryside to the city, um, the issue of housing sort of became immediately immediately apparent. And like, um, I suppose for the first year and a half, two years, I was like quite just kind of bummed out by it. I was like really kind of like lamentful and quite like melancholy and just kind of felt a bit hopeless. But um, in the same kind of period, I was lucky enough, I suppose, to kind of get exposed and I kind of read and listened to a lot of like just kind of um, commentary on like you know our like society and economic system social system and I kind of became kind of a, a fairly annoyed just I, my kind of like lament or my kind of like sadness about it just kind of became sort of like right well you know what can I actually do about this do you know yeah. um, where are my outlets um and then one day you know like I certainly had like a, a lot of opinions and like questions about you know why were things going wrong? Um, how to fix things? And like, even the notion of like, look, everybody seems to think that this is kind of, everyone seems to think that this is kind of messed up. Um, but there's not a lot, doesn't seem like a lot being done about it. Yeah. And um, for me, like, you know, I, I, you know, you're kind of taught and you grew up and you said, like, you know, we live in a democratic society. Well, like, I was always thinking, like, well, if that's the case, and like, what I understand it is, like, it's the will of the majority. You know, the majority of people that I speak to, like, you know, are kind of going like, well, this is this isn't good enough. And you know, why isn't anything being why isn't that voice being heard? So like one day I was kind of stopped and like I there was a stall on the street um from a tenant union and said, Hey, do you live in the area? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, I live. I like I I live I live close by. And they said, um, and this was exactly the type of I suppose I was the ideal person to meet because this is exactly we had a really good conversation. This is exactly the outlet I was looking for. Yeah. And I got involved through that and started doing some outreach and, you know, issues that, um, you know, once you start doing that and you move beyond your own experience where you're there and you're going, well, I had a bit of disrepair or I had a bit of issue with like, you know, poor insulation. And then you go to the next person, they're like, oh, well, my bins weren't being collected. And, you know, like my, like the, you were talking about how your rent is too high or how, you know, you're threatened with this or my landlord let himself into my house. Do you know yeah. <laughs> And you see, really start, it opens up these issues. And that's kind of how I got started. It was really just a, I suppose I was and fortunate what, enough to get exposed to things and then speak to the right people. Yeah. And when you were referring to like, you know, talking about things that were, you know, upsetting you, frustrating you, you know, were they housing stuff and what particular issues were they before you got involved? I think it was, um, it was, it was housing issues in the fact that, I suppose whenever I wanted to have more of a say in my own area, one of it had more of a say over like my own life. And one of the things that I was constantly told to do about that was to find kind of outlets where, you know, I could, I could organize to, to do that. Mm. Um, and it was for me in Ireland, like the obvious issue was, was housing. Um, I should clarify, I wasn't even living in Ireland at this point. I was living um, in Glasgow. Yeah. And like there was huge housing issues there with sort of social housing, but not in, compa- in pale in comparison to kind of well not pale in comparison, but not quite as prevalent or on 
talked about as, as publicly or as often as, as that in Ireland. And I think what I wanted, what I saw was a real democratic deficit. I, what I saw was, you know, I was going out and I'd always grown up, grown up in a political background. I'd grown up, you know, a lot of people talking about different types of politics and whatever else. And I, I know what I saw was I saw like, I suppose, a tradition of kind of like party politics and party politics and debate around kind of constitutional politics and things like that. And I just kind of go on like, well, you know, what, what what is anybody doing about the person who lives down the street? And from what I could see, it was like there was a lot of stir around election time. Um, and then as I kind of got more into it, you're kind of going, well, there's all of these, you know, political parties. I mean, like, and uh, the the contact with the with the base, the kind of the grassroots seem to be fairly lacking and uh, and totally lacking, I think, like if you weren't a, a member. Yeah. Um, and for me, like, you know, you look at these things and there's like uh, an AGM or an RDS once a year and a big stir around an election every three, every four or five years. And apart from that, it seemed to be that people who lived there felt pretty helpless. Everyone felt, you know, there was a real attitude of uh, what can you do? That was a real thing. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? And for me, I was thinking, well, well, this is meant to be going back to that kind of idea of like democracy of saying like this is meant to be the will of the majority. Why are the majority of people saying what can I do? There has to be a better better outlet here, and yeah. um, and I think that extend extended everything from housing to the climate uh, crisis to public transport to the health system. It just all kind of seemed that people weren't weren't happy, and everybody knew that people weren't happy, but nothing was kind of changing. And I was kind of going. That that really kind of go look. There has to be another way of doing this. There has to be another way of doing this, and it just so happened that the issue that was so prevalent at the time, uh, in the forefront of everyone's mind, was, was housing. Um, and I suppose it's, it's tied into tied into all of it. Yeah. And so, in terms of Katu, then you got involved in Katu, and what what sort of things you you mentioned? Are you uh, you mentioned some of them? There are you involved in that? Um, I suppose yeah. Just maybe talk a little bit about that. Um, with Katu, um. Well, I suppose Picatu, Picatu is a grassroots organization, as a democratic organization, where essentially um, looking at, at, at neighborhoods, looking at communities, and uh, the people that the, the general ethos is that people who, that the system or that a community should work for the people who live there, that yeah. housing should work for the people, that, that housing should exist for the people who live in, the people who live in them, you know, with their day to day experience. And I felt like there was a real kind of democratic, democratic, uh, democratic deficit there where, you know, we knew kinds like, you know, councils and county councils and, and the governments knew that, you know, that housing is a real issue. But there seemed to be a real sort of gap as to what they were able to implement or what they said they were able to implement and what people actually needed. And what Cathy for me was, was a way for us to have our voice heard. It was so easy to write letters and, you know, so to write letters and, for to speak to you know a, a councillor, speak to a TD, speak to whoever it was, but nothing ever really seemed to go. So this was a real chance for us to kind of say, look, these are our issues. Identify an issue that's going on in your community that's local to you, perhaps local to you, perhaps local to your neighbour. Why is this happening? Why is there nothing being done? And quite often, the reason why there was nothing being done was that there was no pressure for it to be done. Yeah, Do you know, and, yeah. and that was that sort of thing of having that kind of community voice, having that kind of collective voice that collective kind of action to kind of say look these are the issues and we can't ignore them any longer um and we're not going to wait to the next election um we're not going to wait i don't want to be you know i think a big kind of issue with this is that it was so accessible to everyone and it wasn't kind of party political um and it wasn't kind of around like sorry to, to go down a, diff- a different right here but like you kind of look at like how kind of how limited kind of influence and po- party policy is even within these political parties yeah. Regardless of what you think about them, you know, mm. regardless of individually, collectively, whatever, that you go to an AGM, go to an R dash as a member, um, and you're presented with certain topics and asked to kind of confirm or deny them. And there might be a bit of debate around that, but that's going to be that's like once a year, and that's only some of the policy, some of the key policy going to be carried forward by that. And you look at like Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Sinn Fein, and the Greens, the kind of collective government and main opposition. Like collectively between all of them, that's what they only have about sixty-five thousand members in the state. That's yeah. like that's like less than two percent of the voting. That's less two percent of the the population eligible to vote. Um, and that's like two percent less than two percent having some kind of say on some of the policy that may or may not be carried forward. I mean, how can yeah. you? How can anybody? How can we expect the system to work for us whenever we're so removed from the decision making? 
And in terms of, 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 I suppose, tenants and renters and going forward, like, do you, how do you see this? Do you see Katu growing further? And, you know, and how do you, would you encourage people to get involved? And what could they kind of achieve by getting involved, do you think? Um, I think, I think, I think what we're maybe trying to achieve is essentially that, is that you, you have a kind of direct link to um, an organization that, like, instead of like, you know, once a once a once a year, a very small cohort of people having some influence over decision making or some debate around that. That once a week, once a month, within local branches, like this shouldn't be happening in huge huge halls at Nardash. This should be happening in community centres and pubs, um, in GS GA clubs, through an organisation like Katu with Katu that kind of is able to kind of collate that. Where you're able to have your voice heard within on your local level, and you're able to kind of create collective action, a collective voice, collective pressure to implement that sort of change. That ultimately the system doesn't really operate without people, without us, without the people who within it. You know, this is the best way. Community organising like this, to be honest, in my in my view, kind of if you've got a leak in your house, you've got something like this where it's a systemic issue where they know, where a Latin agent or a landlord knows. We're in a crisis. There will be another one to replace you if you if you don't like it. Move on, move on. That's it. Where this is really an outlet to go. This isn't acceptable anymore. And you're not working at a, a, a on a community level on a collective action level, a collective voice level, um, to put pressure on councillors, to put pressure on TDs. Kind of say, look, guys, we have an outlet here. We have a, a say, in, and it's really about that. It's about democratizing. It's about having a say in your own future, um, rather than outsourcing that. Um, to 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 somebody at the behest of yeah. less of the less less democratic processes, you know. Yeah, no, no, it makes complete. You know, it makes complete sense, and I think that, you know, we know that we've covered a lot of this podcast, and you know, talking to Miriam and Amy there as well. It, you know, how the housing crisis is really, really impacting on people and devastating people's lives. Um, do you see kind of in terms of you know renters? Do you see potential for rent strikes? or you know opposing you know evictions or how do you see the practical action going forward well i think it's i think like within that con- it's easy to kind of say like at the moment i think that we were in the cottage by a young organization we're in the process of kind of growing and developing and expanding kind of um expanding like renters like opinions and renters voices like or community voices, like more generally, um, I think that there's huge potential for it, but only if people want it and only if people are willing to kind of get involved for it themselves. Like it's easy to feel hopeless or kind of powerless um, and that we're kind of kind of hurting towards more injustice and, you know, we're losing grip on a society where something like a rent strike or something like um, something like a rent strike um, may seem unattainable. Um, but that, you know, I think like if people like that, I completely emphasize with that, but you know what, if we continue to pay, play ball or sit in the sidelines or not get involved, then it's probably not that likely um, we're going to down to this. But, you know, I think asking people like not to kind of mourn for what has already kind of happened, not to mourn for the current situation, but to kind of, you know, hope and move forward. And I think it's the baby steps. And I think we're really not that far off. Um, there's so much discontent right there. We're not that far off. Um kind of collective action on that kind of scale and um, i think there's huge potential for it i think however though we need to move off the current path that we're on we need to kind of step forward and assert ourselves to a certain level to say like look we need to step forward and assert ourselves to a certain level to say that um we are taking our own path you know we need that kind of we're, we're taking our own path and you know we might make mistakes as, as a community or as a as a as, as renters but they will be kind of our mistakes and whether that's a rent strike or whether that's whatever that manifests yeah. um you know they will be our mistakes and there'll be stuff that we kind of have a very close network where we can make those kind of decisions um and, like, and just sorry yeah just to finish that yeah, connor maybe because i think you you know you've really outlined really clearly in terms of you know, the importance of Katu and where, you know, what's what needs to be done and where, where it's going um, and potentially going and that fundamental, as you say, democratic involvement. Where, for you, could you maybe just explain in a few words like why housing is so fundamental and, and is a human right in your view? Well, I think like housing, like housing as, as a, and looking at housing, not just as housing, but as a, as a home, 
Um, well, sorry, even if we just look at housing as housing, if we look at it as shelter, yeah, like, as such a human right, we look at kind of like where where we're going to where we're going to need. Like humans can thrive. Like I think the standard thing is like three minutes without oxygen, three days, but <laughs> three days, like three three minutes without oxygen, like three days without shelter, and I think um, three days without shelter, three weeks out, or three days without water, three days without food, or three weeks without yeah. food. But it's actually the thing, particularly moving into the winter, as we look here in a northern European country like Ireland, housing is not a luxury. It is not something yeah. that you can opt out of. If we do not have shelter, if we do not, we will. People will die, and people are dying. People are dying in sheds. You know, people are dying in bus stops. People are dying in in stairwells, and it's it's not acceptable. Um, and it's not a luxury. It's not something that should be you know commodified or should be run, you know, as a, as a system to kind of like take it or on a take it or leave it basis um and 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 it's not something that should be done on a take it or leave it basis it's it's something that's so inherent to an individual and a collective need that it it, it simply can't be gambled i think i think for, for lack of a better term it simply cannot be gambled and look i think moving forward through i encourage anyone moving forward to kind of get involved with direct acts and get involved with Democratic groups like Cato get involved in your own community. Have a say. Take take a little bit of take a little bit of the power back to yourself. Um, but and I'm not saying on that basis. Not saying like don't encourage. I'm not saying don't don't vote. I'm not saying don't exist within the current system. Absolutely do because it's better. I mean, it is better to it's better to go hungry than to starve out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. In terms of and, yeah, people should absolutely be engaging. But I, I think you're right. There's a huge uh, clear need for renters, you know, to, and, and communities to engage around this. Um, and listen, Connor, thank you so much for joining me on Reboot. It was great. And uh, for take two and giving the time and coming back again. Oh, thanks very much. Thanks very much, Roy. It's great, uh, great to be on. Great. And a reminder, people can, Connor, in terms of if people want to get in touch with uh, Katu, the, the renters and community union, where would they go to? Absolutely. Yeah. You can find us on every social media outlet. So Twitter, Twitter, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can also go to on cathoireland.org forward slash join. Get involved in your community. Don't be afraid. Send us a DM to your local branch on Twitter, Instagram, anything like that. Um, also look out for local branches um, on uh, stalls in your community. Check out, check out plenty of posters everywhere. Check us out. Brilliant. Great. Thanks so much, Connor. And thank you to Connor and Amy and Miriam for giving their time um, to set out, I think, really important issues in terms of our younger generation, the future, the future for all of us in terms of housing, in terms of this country, where we're going, and that fundamental need for home and the importance of action as well and, and citizen action to make this an issue and to, and to as Connor said, you know, reclaim that power and, and role in this, that it's not just um, something that we have to accept, that it needs to be challenged as well and people empowered through that. Um, and create their communities and create that housing. Um, and of course, cooperatives are very important in that as well. And this whole new ways of thinking, particularly with climate change, with sustainability, with the need for, you know, a republic of human rights, we really need to to change our thinking and get people involved in, in doing that change as well. So thank you to them. As, as they said, you can check out Katu um, across all the social media. And thank you, as always, to our listeners uh, for taking the time to have a listen. If you can, please share us, share us out to your networks, um, share the podcast around, um, tweet it or Instagram it. And if you have any comments or questions, you can contact us at rebootrepublic at gmail.com or send me a DM uh, on Rory Hearn on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, we really appreciate your comments and any suggestions for uh, future shows or future guests and also we are completely independent. We have no sponsorship. We rely on patrons for our support. So please consider becoming a patron. Go over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. And thank you very much to Tony Groves of Tortoise Shack Media for production. And we'll talk to you all soon. <laughs>